So I wanted to just make sure that you all knew that um, we are doing our best here at Covenant Community to keep up with the ongoing um, suggestions and regulations about how we meet together. And even though we have a very small group this morning here helping us to provide worship, we are wearing masks and we're not up, up here front, up front speaking or leading. And I wanted to, so just so you know, like, here's my mask for the, for the day. You know, so uh, this, uh, not sure if it's, uh, if it's regulation or not, but uh, I can tell you what, when you wear this, you're not, uh, you're not coughing on anybody or, or being coughed on for that matter. So um, just want you to, to know that we are taking all the precautions that are needed this morning. So kids, I, uh, before we uh, jump into our message this morning, I want you to answer this question with your family this morning. I want you to answer with one word. You get just one word, so this is going to be quick. How do you feel when you get an invitation to a birthday party? I'll give you 10 seconds. I know in my house, there's excitement happiness. It's probably the way I'd describe it. It feels good to get in, to invited to a party, doesn't it? I know when I was a kid, I loved getting an invitation. I loved checking the date and seeing what was on the invitation, try to figure out if I could figure out what the theme of the party was or what was going to happen at the party. I loved receiving an invitation. It felt so good to know that someone wanted me to come to their party, and I bet you feel the same way. Now, adults, how do you feel when you get invited to a party? Maybe you've taken invitations to parties for granted in the past, but I bet right now in our current situation, you'd love to get an invitation to something that wasn't a Zoom meeting. Think of the most lavish party, maybe a wedding or a fancy gala that you've been invited to. Now, crank that up to 11, and you're not even close to the invitation that we're going to see this morning. Think of the invitation itself. What did it look like? The more lavish the party, likely the more lavish the invitation. Right? You get this invitation, you open it up, and the envelope is lined with velvet or Maybe feathers fall out. I mean, you, you've received all these. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, this, the lavishness, the fancy paper, the printing. It, maybe even someone, maybe even some of them were hand, you know, handwritten or calligraphied. It's all pointing to what this party is going to be like that you've been invited to. And this morning, the passage that we come to in our text in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 1 through 5, is an invitation. All other invitations pale in comparison to this invitation. And this morning, we are welcomed, you and I, to a great feast, to the great feast. And so let's read together this invitation from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 5. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, 
buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this invitation to come. We pray that we would rejoice in this invitation. Lord, if there are those that are with us this morning who have not received this invitation, have not heard this invitation and responded, Lord, I pray that this morning that they might respond and come. Those of us, Lord, who maybe have responded in the past and have for whatever reason, wandered, as we sang earlier. Lord, help us to come back. Lord, we pray, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we picked back up our Servant Song series after a short pause for Easter. We were in Isaiah 54 last week, and we asked the question, what's next? What flows out of the resurrection? Okay, there's no more fear of death, so now what? And we said, now what is that it is now life? Life restored. Life as it is to be. Life as it was always intended to be. The resurrected Jesus is the servant of restoration we saw last week, who restored the covenant, restores the city it has a restored people. Redemption has been accomplished. The blessings the servant has obtained for his people have been described. Restoration has taken place. We see this building through these servant songs in Isaiah and now an invitation. It's all been ready, right? The, the, the party has been, has been set up. The city's been restored. The people are restored. There's great rejoicing. There's a place to come. There's a table set. The feast is ready. And now an invitation. An invitation to all who are in need to come and partake of the salvation the Lord offers. How do we receive this information? invitation? Do we receive it with the thought that this is too good to be true? Maybe you've gotten one of those <laughs> before where you got this invitation, you're like, they must have made a mistake. This can't be for me. Maybe you're someone who hears this invitation, and you say, you know, I don't, I don't need an invitation. I can provide for myself. I can throw a pretty good party I can do it all. I don't need 
this invitation? Or do you receive this invitation with joy and excitement? Like those invitations that you'd receive as a kid to a birthday party. Yes! Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And the answer is that the servant Jesus welcomes us to come. If you receive this invitation like a child, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? The servant Jesus welcomes you to come. And that's our main point this day is that the servant Jesus welcomes us to come. And we've seen our passage today that he welcomes us to come. And the question is, who? Who does he welcome? And then how are we welcomed? So first, who, who's welcome? Verses one and two. It, verse one opens with this come. But what's interesting is that in our translation that I'm reading from this morning, the ESV, it, it leaves out this the actual beginning in Hebrew. It, in Hebrew, it, says, it should be like, alas, or hey, listen up. Listen up. Come. And this idea, it's, there's this idea that there's uh, someone who is proclaiming this, right? Who is shouting, who is announcing. And the idea here, when it comes, it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. It's like, come, hey, look. In Middle Eastern countries where water is scarce, water is sold by a vendor. You know, like, like you go to a sporting event and, you know, you've got the vendors walking around selling, you know, you know, pop or beer or soda for those of you who don't live in Western Pennsylvania or, you know, or other things, you know, that's like in Middle Eastern countries, you've got water vendors selling, trying to call your attention to the fact that they're selling water. It reminds me of when I was uh, a kid, I, I lived up in Western New York near Chautauqua Institution and in the summers I would work various jobs in the institution and one of my first jobs was as Chautauqua Daily seller. They had a daily newspaper for the nine weeks that the season ran, and I would sell Chautauqua Daily newspapers, and I'd stand on the street corner. I mean, this is kind of a, such a throwback, and they, they still do it. It's you know, so quaint. And, but I'd stand on the street corner as this, like, you know, a 12-year-old boy, and I would call out. Yeah, I'd, I'd call out, and be like, get your Chautauqua Dailies here. Or I would walk up and down the aisles of the amphitheater before the shows at night, yell out to get people to get their Chautauquan dailies, to know the news of the day and what's ha- coming up the rest of the week. I even had rhymes that I, would, that I would use to get people's attention. One of my more you know, common ones was one fat quarter, one thin dime, get you a daily anytime, you know? 35 cents. I'm not sure what they go for these days, but they're pretty cheap back then. But that's the kind of thing that we're getting here. We're it's calling attention to the fact there's something that you want, that you need. It's an invitation. We see how good this invitation is. The ideas of water, wine, milk, rich food, 
Actually, in the Hebrew, it's fatness. So if you're like me who've been trying to put on these Corona 20 or whatever they're calling it, you know, feel at home. You're welcome to the fatness. You know, it's interesting, this, this invitation is, should be seen as this lavish thing. And I don't know if you follow the comedian Jim Gaffigan, but Jim Gaffigan has this bit that he does about weddings. And he says that, you know, the more lavish the invitation, the more this wedding's going to cost you. <laughs> right? You get the invitation, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's going to cost me big bucks. But what's amazing is that this invitation comes and the invitation says, don't bring anything. Your money's not good here. It's not going to cost you anything. Come without money. But you say, wait, all the most lavish parties usually cost money. Wedding gifts or these galas that you might go to, they are for raising money for a cause. Not this party. Not this feast. Not this banquet. Come without. In fact, if you come with, you're actually not invited. Come without and receive the invitation. Receive the delights, the delights of water, refreshment, of wine, enjoyment and exhilaration, of milk, nourishment, of fatness or rich food. The richest delectables that you can imagine come these physical delights, these things that we know from experience. We know what it feels like to have a glass of water when you are parched. How refreshing that is. My father-in-law loves to make this joke when you ask him if he's, if he's thirsty. He's like, if he wants a glass of water, he says, you know, I'm thirsty, not dirty. But there's nothing more refreshing than a cold glass of water when you are parched, when your mouth feels like cotton and you need something to refresh you. And we know that a good glass of wine is enjoyable and exhilarates the heart And we know that milk, from the time we are a baby, represents nourishment to our bodies. And we know what it's like to eat rich food. Right? That cut of steak that you really can't afford. <laughs> that cut of steak that maybe you only get once a year, that seafood dish that you just dream about sometimes, dream about being 
somewhere besides Pittsburgh where you can get really good seafood without having to spend an arm and a leg. The richest desserts. We know how good those things are physically. And God is inviting us to experience those things spiritually. But he's also inviting us to experience those things in the new heavens and the new earth, the renewed banquet, the renewed world that he invites us into to come. And he says, come. But in verse 2, he says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? He's saying, why are you so self-reliant? He reminds us of our vanity, of the futility of our self-reliance. We're deceived by what we seek, he says. It's not the daily needs that are being described here. He's not saying that you don't need your daily bread. He's, he's saying that we, that we go after the things that aren't necessary in our lives. We spend our money for that which is not bread. It's not the daily needs that we go after. But we seek to produce and obtain the fullness of life, which is impossible, apart from God. He's saying, don't rely on yourself, on your own wisdom or the wisdom of the world. Listen, listen diligently, he says, to me. And you will eat and delight yourself and what is good and rich. This is where life is found in me and what I provide. This invitation is for those who realize they can't purchase it. Right? There's, there's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of vanity. There's no amount of celebrity. There's no amount of power that can get you this invitation. Those who know their need are compelled to come, to come to Christ and in him find the blessings so desperately needed that only he can give. For those of you who were with us for our hospitality series a few years ago, you'll remember that we said that God is fundamentally a host. Throughout scripture, we see that this picture of God is fundamentally a, a host. He's not fundamentally a judge or fundamentally, fundamentally a healer, which he is those things. But God first reveals himself not only as creator, but as a host. He welcomes humanity into relationship with him, into this garden that he has planted for them. And this theme is repeated throughout Scripture. Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, in the parable of the great banquet, picks up this theme of Scripture, of God being this host. 
And in this parable, we see that God is almost a manic host. He's almost, he's like he's running around trying to make sure everything is ready. And his servants can't find anybody who wants to come. And so he says, go and invite everybody that they might come. And why does Jesus portray God this way, God the Father? Because God the Father is this way. He is a lavish host. One who is preparing and is inviting. And this invitation is for anyone who will come. Some receive it, but like in Jesus' parable, some have, quote, better or more important things to do. Those who receive it know their need for him and come. And that's all that's required. To know our need and to come. How? How is this invitation for us? How do we come without money? I mean, who's ever heard of anything that is completely and 100% free? Right? Even if a friend or a neighbor or someone else throws a, a big party, oftentimes we've, we have this innate sense that I have to return the favor. Right? I need to throw a party now. I need to welcome them as they welcomed me. But not this party. Not this feast. And we see how this happens in verses 3 through 5. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Isaiah repeats this call of God from the previous section. Listen, right? Listen diligently, he says in verse, in the end of verse 2, and then again, incline your ear. Listen. Listen that your soul might live. Listen to this promise that God will make an everlasting covenant, a promise, just like God did with David, just like God showed his faithfulness, his hesed love for David. God promises hesed love, his never-ending, always and forever love. He promised that to David, and it's the same promise he makes to you if you incline your ear and listen to me, that your soul may live. And he says, behold, in verse 4, in this Behold in the prophets often, almost always, refers to future tense. Behold, here's what's going to happen. David's seed, his descendant. Obviously, he's not talking about David here. God's not talking about David. He's using David as the reference point. David's been dead for 200 plus years. But David's promised seed, his promised son, 
who will reign on David's throne forever has not yet come as God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. His descendant will be this witness, the servant of the Lord, who we know is Jesus. He was not a witness as in the court of law, but as a witness as one whose life and words proclaim the truth to the nations. He is the witness of the truth. And again, we see in verse 5, again, behold, this servant's mission is to call the nations. And even though it says nation and, and a nation, the reason we can see it as the nations is because all the verbs here are plural. And I'm not very good with grammar, but I've been told that you can't have, technically have, a, have all these plural verbs with a singular noun. So you have to understand the noun to be plural as well. Either that or all the verbs are wrong. But it is this idea that the servant's mission is called the nations, people unknown to come into the feast and into the household of faith. And they will come uncumbered. They will run, not just walk. They will run to come to this feast, to come into the house come into this place of great delight. Because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel is glorified, the text says. He was made king over this universal and eternal kingdom of blessing and the nations are all included. This Jesus whom you crucified, Paul says, is now the king who Peter declared as the one that you crucified is the king over all things, is this servant, the one who rose from the dead, is this king. We come, how? Through the welcome of the servant, Jesus. Our invitation is written on his hands and the wounds that he received. Our invitation is written in the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You see, our invitation is actually not our invitation. It's Jesus' invitation, and he puts us at, down as his plus one. And when we come <laughs> to the banquet... That one who's there checking the guest list looks at it and says, oh yeah, you are the VIP guest. Not because we are a VIP, but because we've come with the VIP. Jesus himself. We are his plus one. And once we've come to the feast, once we've been satisfied, once we've, our thirst has been quenched, once our hearts are glad with as much wine as we can drink, as we've been nourished by the milk 
as we have gotten fat on fine food. We are given the same calling as the servant of the Lord to welcome. We've experienced it. We've received it. My thirst is quenched. My heart is full of joy. I have been nourished. I am even pleasantly plump. Our calling now is to welcome as well. And this identity of Jesus as the gathering servant has been given to us, his people. Our fundamental identity as the people of God is a gathering servant. Right? Just like in Jesus' parable, to go and to find whoever will come. To invite the world into participation, into union with God. We are the servants who bring them together. And this is most clearly seen in Jesus, most beautifully, who came as a host, a guest, but also as the gathering servant. He came to gather the world back to God. He is the gathering servant, and so we, and so are his people. And we see this at Pentecost, the disciples animated and filled with this calling to gather the world into the kingdom of God. This theme of the feast, of eating and drinking with God, runs all the way through Scripture. And the Bible often describes our relationship with God in terms of sharing a meal. And then Jesus comes to be the king, and he described his kingdom in terms of eating and drinking. And he says, it's like a great banquet. Many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We, as God's people, exist to bring people into that banquet of joy. You know, sometimes we can see our neighbors not as guests to be invited but as threats to keep out, thrown out, or legislated out. Instead, we are to invite and to welcome them, to point to Jesus, the true welcome, the one who has secured their place at the feast at the table, the one who has room for them, a place for them to anchor their identities, a place for them to lay their heads, right? Jesus said, come to the banquet, and if you are so full and you can't, hey, I've got extra rooms. <laughs> Go find a place to lay down. To sleep it off. A place of feasting and joy instead of vanity and destruction. You know, as I was looking at this passage, a friend of mine reminded me, he's like, so you know, what does this mean? Like, bring it down. Like last week, like it was great. That was awesome. But bring it down. What does this mean for me and for us? What should we do? And as I was thinking about this, the only thing I could think of is in the time that we're in. Yes, it, this helps us to look forward with great hope. To know that this is what awaits us. To know that this is how God invites us. That this is the kind of God that we 
that we love and we serve, a God who loves us so much that he welcomes us unconditionally to come in free, to come to the banquet. But what does it mean for us now as we wait? And the one thing that I thought of, when this whole shelter in place is over, why don't we throw the biggest parties? As the people of God, as the entire church together, as individual Christians in neighborhoods across the country, why don't we throw the biggest party ever? Why don't we invite everyone we can think of? And when they ask why, we can say, not in some weird and cheesy way, we can say we've been apart for so long. What got me through this was my hope in an amazing party that's to come. And I want to give everyone I can think of a small taste of where my hope is found. I want to give everybody that I can think of a little taste of the invitation that I have already received. I want to give everyone that I can think of a taste of what and who is good. God is always busy handing out invitations to his feast. Every time the gospel is preached, proclaimed, Shown in word and deed, people are invited to eat and to drink with God. God is getting ready to throw the last and longest banquet of all time, what the book of Revelation calls the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the way to RSVP for that great banquet is to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And one day God will welcome everyone who trusts in Jesus to sit down at the feast that will never end. Think of that. A party that will never end. All kinds of people are welcome, are invited. And we're all invited because Jesus has secured our invitation. He had everything, yet became needy. He relied on the promises of his heavenly Father, even though he could have been self-sufficient He took the wickedness and evil of us all upon himself on the cross that we might receive the compassion of God, that we might be abundantly pardoned. He was the foreigner living in a world he created yet not welcomed. Yet he welcomes you and me. God has given an invitation. Will you come? And if you've accepted that invitation... Are you welcoming those whom God is inviting? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this invitation, for this picture of this banquet, of this feast that we're invited to in Christ. Lord, we pray 
Lord, I pray for those who have not responded to this invitation, that they would respond this day and come. Lord, for those of us who have responded to this invitation, Lord, I pray that you would make us more and more welcoming people. Lord, that we'd be servants of welcome. That we'd be like those servants in Jesus' parable that go out to the highways and byways, to the hedges, to the corners, to the alleys, to everywhere that we can find and invite people to come to know the delights. The delight that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name.